0: Programming notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of December 11th, 2022. So one thing I'm thankful for is this week off. (laughs) I'm going to get some delicious cooking ahead. Uh, This is the week I celebrate the holidays with my folks to avoid the rush and traffic and all that stuff. So um, if you're trying to get in touch with me this week, expect a a delay. (laughs) So my call to action for this week is get in touch with me about what are your big burning questions around data mesh and kind of data in general for 2023. I'm going to be doing a deep dive into how to evaluate and calculate some of the returns and costs of your data work. But we need to stop kind of underpants gnoming it, as I'm calling it. You know, if you need an explanation of that reference, send me a message or just uh, Google, uh, you know, search underpants gnomes. But what else? What are you really trying to figure out about data mesh and related topics that's important to you? Let me know Otherwise, I will focus on the things the people who actually do reach out told me they want me to focus on. So what's on tap for this week? On Monday, we've got episode 166, Capital One's Data Mesh Journey and why they created a product for Data Mesh Platform Management, which is an interview with Salim Syed. I reached out to Salim after I'd seen he had done some presentations about doing Data Mesh um, to learn more about Capital One's Data Mesh Journey. Well, we talked a bit about the offering that they launched, we mostly focused on the big challenges, you know, the expected and the unexpected of Capital One's internal data mesh journey, which, you know, led to them actually creating an external offering of their internal tooling. It's, it's a good conversation. It's not a sales pitch. And I think you'll pick up some interesting tidbits from uh, what they tried and what worked well and what didn't work so well. On Tuesday, it's episode 167. It's the one-year anniversary. Uh, what more have we learned so far? <laughs> Which is Mesh Fusing's 37. So reflection back on what I've slashed, we've learned in a year of doing this podcast. Trying to keep it keep it from getting too crazy or long. So for additional learnings, check out episode 100, where I kind of talked about what what we've learned so far to that point. Um, But in general, I'm just trying to share a little of the the through lines, the summations of stuff that's coming up across my, my plate. And then on Wednesday, it's episode 168, which is Schmack's corner number 12. Your data is not a cake, the danger of layers. So this is finishing up my most recent recording with Schmack, all about how we keep trying to add layers upon layers to our data instead of keeping it intact as one entity. Why is the semantics layer a separate layer? Is it not part of the data? When people say adding another layer, doesn't that usually finish with of complexity, adding another layer of complexity? Isn't that a hint? How do we actually remove a lot of the complications we continually add to the data creation and publishing process, to make it easier and make it more cohesive, right? That's a big part of what Schmack is spinning out to, to go do, right? That's why she's starting her company. Is is how do we tackle this problem? The tooling isn't there yet, so can we do it before the tooling is there? Is it a chicken and egg problem? <laughs> Are people, you know, not going to develop the tooling simply because people aren't demanding it yet? So. I think it's a really interesting and it's a very, very, very kind of second order problem, but that will be pervasive in all of the ways that you actually interact with, with data and data mesh, right? It's, it's not going to be your first priority, but it should be just a key thing that, that kind of is interwoven into every aspect of what you're doing with data mesh. So with that, on to the extended summary for Salim's episode. Extended summary for episode 166, Capital One's data mesh journey and why they created a product for data mesh platform management, an interview with Sleem Syed. In this episode, I interviewed Sleem, who's the VP of engineering at Capital One Software. Before we jump in, I do want to note that Capital One Software has its own offering, but built that as a result of their own data mesh journey. So much of the episode is about their specific journey and the general challenges faced rather than it being about the commercial offering. Cost management is also near and dear to my heart, so (laughs) I wanted to talk a little bit about that. So in their own data mesh journey, um, Capital One was inspired to build this offering of Slingshot when asked about where he would tell others to start their own data and mesh journey themselves. Salim mentioned that we can't solve our data issues, whether data mesh or anything else, through just technology. I think we all are, need to hear that a lot, but it's, it's a, a pretty common theme through a lot of these episodes. So at Capital One, they started on the organizational aspects first, breaking into their discrete lines of business, and then creating units of data responsibility with a hierarchy. However, the data hierarchy wasn't the same in each line of business. They left it up to the line of business to determine. A large domain might have three to four kind of layers of their hierarchy, and a small domain might just have kind of a flat hierarchy, you know, one layer. So, according to Salim, a big reason for why they have so many people focused on risk is twofold. One, they are a bank with highly sensitive data and are highly regulated. But the other is similar to what Sarita Baxter mentioned in episode 52, also at a highly regulated bank. You want to give people as much access to data as you can while minimizing risk. So set yourself up to give people access when it's valuable or necessary for their job. There are even instances at Capital One where you need to complete some training to get access to data. But they're making it so people can get that access when it's going to be valuable, and there's and they they're minimizing that risk, right? They have active risk monitoring constantly in place too to make sure they don't miss anything. It wasn't just that once you've been granted, you will always have granted access. They're they're still looking at it as it's going on. Uh, Again, doing that gives them more peace of mind to leverage more of their data. They can find additional use cases that if they didn't have this complicated risk, risk monitoring, they might not be willing to open up that data to other people. So when you start federating your data ownership, you know when you start putting it onto the domain teams, you can't only give people the tooling and the authority. That just won't work well, right? Sleem's view, my view, (laughs) a lot of other people's, right? So in addition to all of that, you need to focus on a usability layer. Think about email. It's pretty easy to work with an email client, but what if you had to put all the, the plumbing for your email and your headers and all that stuff yourself, right? Do you really want to build your own email client and manage your own email client? Probably not. There are a few of you that probably do, but <laughs> just giving people tools, patterns, policies, et cetera, and expecting them to be able to handle it all isn't realistic. Make it easy to leverage. Think about their user experience. You know, Alice Parker, very much about the user experience, that that episode of how important it is to make this so that it's, it's easy for people to deal with. An example, Salim talked about uh, the process for creating a data product. Instead of interfacing directly with, you know, a whole bunch of tools, there is a workflow with automated processes to make it a smooth for the data producer. As many past guests have noted, reducing friction to sharing data is a key element of driving value from data mesh. It's not just called a data platform. It's called a self-serve data platform for a reason. Salim shared some advice other recent guests have touched on. Really focus on the job to be done, who is doing it, and ensuring your infrastructure and governance stay in sync. Focus on the job to be done, whatever that job is, instead of the tools. Again, reduce friction. Focusing on the persona of who is doing the work is also crucial. Auden uh, and Joran at NAV in episode 37 talked about building a great data platform no software engineer would want to use. Use product thinking. Who is using it and how do they typically do their work? And lastly, again, ensuring your governance and infrastructure stay in sync. If there is an update to the data product, does that automatically update the data catalog? How do you prevent drift between systems or having to use kludgy manual fixes? Data discovery done right is about a few things according to Saleem. Ensure people can find data easily is baseline, but also get them to as much understanding as possible. Even sensitive data, what are the quality metrics around it, the general data shape, etc. and make it easy to immediately request access when you find data and you want to that you want to use which immediately triggers a request to the data owner with a business justification. And the relevant policies for that data are automatically part of the approval process. So the data owner doesn't have to remember the policies themselves or go and look them up or anything like that. Again, reduce friction to getting the job done and limiting risk for all parties. Salim talked about a few things that they overlooked at the start. One for personas and one that was causing a lot of friction in general. As mentioned earlier, at Capital One, there are a number of risk managers. But the early iterations of their platform didn't cater to their experience, which meant access requests were delayed and risk monitoring was a lot tougher. So make sure to consider all your personas that will be using your data mesh. Ignore at your business value peril. The other aspect was how much manual effort was involved in updating production data, so they specifically went and said, "Okay, we're going to make this very easy to update the production data. To be able to federate the actual infrastructure management to the domains, Salim and team knew they couldn't just hand over the tools. Again, the personas in the lines of business wouldn't have the expertise to manage the infrastructure. So they focused on exactly what Salim mentioned throughout, the experience. How could they empower the lines of business to own their data infrastructure without the domains having to manage their data infrastructure? So the team built out a platform with capabilities, uh, with experience at the core, but with additional aspects like DBA best practices, guardrails, and cost management as part of the platform. So one note from here forward, we're going to be talking a little bit about their commercial offering of Slingshot, right? So all of these challenges of how they addressed their cloud cost management via their platform led them to believe there was a market for this type of solution. Capital One has a history of creating cloud cost toolings as they were creators of the open source uh, cloud custodian. Uh, Unpredictable or high costs have been a major concern or pushback to data mesh since early 2021. So I think this is a topic that, that... deserves some delving into. One general issue with on-demand or cloud computing is cost inefficiencies. There is always a lot of waste, and it's often actually more cost-effective to ignore that waste than chase it down unless you know where inefficiencies lie and how to potentially address them, right? If something is costing you 10K a month, it's often more cost-effective to not spend somebody... Entire time trying to chase down that 10k a month for two months to then to just leave it, even if it's less than their salary or, or whatever. It's, it's often viewed at least as less cost efficient to do that. So, Salim and team found it useful to not try to automatically clean up cost inefficiencies. That pretty much never works, but to highlight them relatively quickly and offer potential recommendations and or help. And they lowered their own snowflake costs quite a bit in the process. They talked about this. So the bigger benefit, according to Salim, was the team put proactive questions in place for when teams were provisioning their own data infrastructure. Often it can only take a few minutes to save a large percentage of money if only people know the knobs to churn. But you don't want everyone to have to be an expert, You know, extract the information from them based on their needs, and create a recommendation system. This is just yet more on the experience side. Don't build cloud cost experts in every line of business. Make it so they can make the right decisions as often as possible, quickly and easily. Whether you use uh, you know Capital One software or not, these are all things that you should be looking to do. You should also look to build in cloud you know cost forecasting tools as part of your experience, so people aren't hit with a surprise bill. The surprise cloud bill is so common it's a meme on Twitter. From what Salim is seeing. Most companies, or more collect- correctly, the central data platform teams are pretty reluctant to federate ownership of the infrastructure to domains. He believes that is because of things the line of businesses don't understand, like cost controls and best practices. But that if you allow the central team to set guardrails and best practices, they will be more willing to give up control. Whether this is true remains to be seen in my view. So Salim finished with in our experience, data mesh works with central policy, central tooling, but federated ownership. I think again, we'll we'll see whether people are really good with federating the actual infrastructure ownership instead of just the data ownership. <laughs>